Are you hesitating to take the next step in your e-commerce journey? Founder Plus has you covered with proven frameworks tailored to your business needs for fast results, a supportive community of over 30,000 like-minded entrepreneurs and weekly live mentorship sessions. Founder Plus is your key to success. Try Founder Plus today for just $1 for seven days and start building your dream business with confidence. You can visit founder.com forward slash start dollar trial or click the link in the description to claim your trial. This is episode number 237 with Jay Bear of the Founder Podcast. What you need is thirst. You need to be a thirsty human who is intent on learning. It's a really fascinating, fascinating exploration of human potential. Now. Now. The Founder Podcast. Even the greatest entrepreneurs had help. If you want to learn from the most successful founders on the planet, you are in the right place. Branson, Mark Cuban, Tony Robbins, Tim Ferriss, Ariana Huffington, Seth Ghost, Steve Case, Gary Vee, Sophia Amoroso, Robert Corcoran, Damon John. Learn from the greatest minds in business today with interviews hosted by Nathan Chan. This is not your average entrepreneur podcast. The Founder Podcast. Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning in. Before we start today's episode, I just want to let you know that our goal at Founder is to help entrepreneurs succeed however we can by giving away high quality content in the form of interviews, blog posts, podcasts, YouTube videos, you name it. We put out so much content to help you. And another interesting project that we're working on right now is partnering with world-class founders like Damon John, Alexa Von Tobel, Greta Van Riel, and so many more to teach crucial skills like negotiation, finance, e-commerce, and so much more. So if you'd like to get access to these free trainings with founders like this, which is 100% free, just go to founder.com forward slash free. Okay, so now let's talk about today's episode. What's going on, Founder Family? Hope you're having a great day wherever you are around the world. My name's Nathan Chan. I'm the CEO and publisher of Founder Magazine and also the host of the Founder Podcast. So I hope you're having a great day wherever you are around the world. Um, Sometimes I give you these updates just with what's happening with my life. Uh, Things are really hectic at the moment. I always seem to say this on my updates, but basically... um, I don't even have time to think. Um, I, you know, we just we, they say that you know the best years of your business, like if you want to have a fantastic year, it's uh, it's due to having a great first quarter. The best quarters always happen in the first quarter of the year. So uh, we're pushing really hard at Founder. We're working on a lot of different things. Uh, I'm really excited. We just launched our YouTube channel. If you're enjoying our interviews. Make sure you check out our YouTube channel. We've got a lot of cool content on there. We're creating vlogs. We're creating behind-the-scenes stuff. We're actually starting to document everything we're building at Founders. So if you want to, you know, not just hear from me and actually get to meet the team and actually understand who are these incredible people that are bringing you this, like, insane content because, to be honest, uh, you know, with everything that we do at Founder now, I have hardly anything to do with it these days. Um, make sure you check out the Founder YouTube channel. Uh, you can just go to youtube.com forward slash founder. But yeah, things are super hectic. I'm going to the States in a couple of weeks. Uh, we're going to um, set up an office over there, which is really exciting in New York. And uh, 
I might be handing over this podcast. I know it's crazy. I know some people might think this is the dumbest thing I've ever done, but uh, stay tuned. I'll keep you guys posted on where we end up with that. But um, yeah, look, it's uh, it's an interesting one. So anyways, let's talk about today's guest. His name's Jay Bear and uh, he's an incredible founder. Like I knew Jay's work from... I guess the social media marketing world and he runs um, quite a a decent sized agency called convince and convert. And yeah, really Jay, he he's got a lot to share. Like he's like, OG when it comes to uh, basically startups, building online businesses, he's built quite a few. He's exited a couple as well. And uh, he's got a new book that he's talking to me about called Talk Triggers. Really, really fascinating concept. Um, one of my mentors who I actually interviewed for episode number 74, uh, Daryl Wade, one thing, he he's like a, an incredible marketer and uh, he's you know been doing marketing ever since he started his company. He's been running for like 30 years, but um Ever, you know, ever since I've always spoken to him about marketing, he reckons to me nothing beats word of mouth for Intrepid Travel, uh, which is really, really interesting. So, you know, I used to work at Intrepid before I started Founder. So anyways, really, really fascinating conversation. I know you're going to get a lot from Jay. He's a very, very smart guy. Uh, if you guys are enjoying these episodes, please do take the time to leave us a review. It helps more than you can imagine, like really, really helps. Please do share this with your friends please do uh, tag us on Instagram, just at founder. Let us know that you're listening to this podcast. Show us some love. Share it with your friends. Just really do them a favor and uh, let them listen to this podcast. I've heard it is better than an MBA. All right, guys, that's it from me. Now let's jump to the show. The first uh, question I ask everyone that comes on is, uh, how did you get your job? I got this job because I ran a similar company in some ways, a consulting firm helping brands get better at digital marketing, and I sold that company. Uh, And after my contract was up with the acquiring company, I was originally, Nathan, going to go teach university. I was going to go be like a marketing professor and all that. Uh, And and then at that point, it's like 10 years ago, we had the simultaneous collapse of the real estate market and the stock market in the U.S. Uh, and I was like, yep, can't afford to be a professor, so I have to start another company. So I did. Uh, and I started uh, this company, Convince and Convert, just working out of my house. And uh, we've grown it steadily and steadily and steadily. And now um, we, we, we advise many of the world's most interesting brands. Amazing. So, you know, one thing that um, I found interesting about your story, Jay, is I know you mainly kind of um, as as a content marketing guy and a marketing guy, but you started quite a few companies. So can you tell me like, um, yeah, like, like take us back to like the very, very early days yeah. of Jay Bear because um, you've done a lot sure. of stuff, man. I have. I come by it kind of naturally. I'm a seventh generation entrepreneur. So when my family first came to America, right, they started their own companies. And so when I was a kid, you know, it wasn't really a question of of whether you were going to start a company. It was a question of what kind of company were you going to start? Like, you know what I mean? And nobody ever really said that to me word for word. But that was just kind of the unspoken thing that you did. 
uh, my dad started a whole bunch of companies as well. And um, uh, so so I, I felt pretty comfortable with it. I, I waited a long time, though. I don't know if I ever told you the story, Nathan. I, um, you know, I should have done it earlier. I, I had I, I was lucky. I started in politics, right? That was my first company. I was the political campaign consultant. And I, and I did that for a while. Uh, but politics is a nasty business, you know, and, and so I got out of politics and I got into marketing. Um, and I, I started my second company, which was a very, very early, uh, internet company. So early, in fact, that domain names were free. Like you could buy any domain name you wanted and pay nothing for it. Right. It's because who would want such a thing? So I started that company, uh, and, and then we sold that one. And then I, I, um, I got into... It was called Internet Direct, and 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 so we um, uh, kind of built websites and did hosting and all that kind of stuff. In fact, my partner in that company, uh, literally, this is true, invented virtual hosting, invented it because back then, this is 1993, right? It's 25 years ago. Back then, um, if you wanted to have a website, you had to have an actual server, like an actual box and a rack. He invented the partitioning algorithm. That would allow you to run more than one domain on a single computer. So the, the, what essentially partitions the hard drive um, and the DNS so that you can run more than one website on one server. So for a while there, we were the only company in the world who could do that. And so everybody else would charge you like, you know, $1,500 a month for a website. And we were charging you $179 a month for a website. Uh, and that was pretty crazy. So those were those were wild days. Like, you know, we we went from... Oh man, like 20 employees to a hundred employees in maybe 90 days. Um, and, and you know, the, you know, the, the kind of stories you hear about, about the early days of the internet, like literally people sleeping on the floor overnight next to the servers to reboot them, you know, cause they'd go off in the middle of the night, like that kind of thing. Um, we, uh, domain names were free as I told you. So we registered all kinds of domain names and we sold Budweiser.com to Anheuser-Busch Brewing, which is a big brewing conglomerate. Uh, and we sold it for 50 cases of beer. <laughs> so in our office, and we were like, we got such a good deal. And in our office, we had like all this beer and we were totally psyched. And then we're like, okay, we're not going to sell that cheap again. So Guinness came, Guinness, you know, Guinness Stout, Guinness Brewing came and said, hey, you guys have the domain name. We're like, yes, we do. So we sold that one for two trips to Ireland uh, and and two bre- <laughs> two brewery tours, uh, but you know, like it sounds stupid now, right? But but back then, like nobody really wanted a website, you know. Like it sounds hilarious today, but it was you know we had something that really didn't have that much value at the time, and now obviously, of course, uh, a tremendous amount of value. So, you know, I started in this business, uh, you know, uh, at the very beginning, and and it wasn't like I had. Um, some sort of like, oh, I'm so smart. I see the beginning of the internet and this is going to change the world. Nathan, it was not like that at all. Here's the actual story. I was working at this time for the government. I worked for the government for about 20 minutes and I was the spokesperson for the Department of Juvenile Corrections, which is the prison system for kids who are 18 years or younger. And my job was to give tours of the prison to like the media and members of the legislature. And that wasn't great. And I had dinner with my friends and my two friends from university had started the very first internet company in Arizona, the company they eventually joined. And they said, Jay, 
this internet company is getting a little bit bigger and we don't know anything about marketing. And I said, that's okay. Because when you say the word internet, I don't know what you mean. Because this is when everybody was on like America Online and CompuServe and Prodigy. Like the idea of the open internet was really weird, right? So literally, true story, I quit my job because I'm like, I'll do anything not to give another prison tour. Quit my job, go to work as the vice president of an internet company, and I'd never been on the internet. Um, So that was an interesting first week uh, for sure. Wow, there you go. So then – so you built that company up, you sold it. What happened next? So I sold that company, um, and then I went to start another company, which was a it was a co venture between myself and a very prominent family in Arizona that owned a bunch of media. So they owned several TV stations, several radio stations, and a magazine. Uh, and again, this is still like we're talking, you know, early mid nineties. And they did not have any sort of an internet component. And like, we need to get in the internet business. So we did that together, built a very large content website, like a news portal, if you will, uh, and sold a bunch of ads on that. And then we also got into the web design business and became the largest web design firm uh, in the southwestern uh, U.S. And so I ran that firm for a while. And then they sold the whole company to a very, very large uh, media conglomerate in the U.S. for $450 million or something like that. Uh, and then I joined another startup company uh, and and was there for a little while. And it was funny, we're recording this on Skype. And the the company I joined was called Visit Talk. Visit Talk. And it was literally, I can't even emphasize this to enough, it was exactly what Skype is, exactly what Skype is, but in 1997. And it was way, way before Skype was invented. And so we were super early to the game. And the and now Skype seems like no big deal, right? But back then, nobody was like, you know, what I want is a better telephone. Like everybody was not really that, like the old way of doing phone calls was not that big of a deal. And so we were way too early and, and the company had some management problems as well. So um, that one did not go very well and uh, and closed up shop. And then I started my own consulting firm after that. And now this is my second or third one of those is, uh, also, so I, I usually, you know, change companies pretty quickly. And the fact that I've been in this company now for 10 years is, uh, is pretty unusual. Yeah. Wow. And so I'm curious, um, why, uh, you know, cause it sounds like you've got a pretty diverse background, which I don't think most people would know, uh, about you. Like, um, you know, I, I thought it when uh, we were talking about, uh, you know, doing this and, and he said, oh, no, I've done, done heaps of different things. I was, um, I just know you as Jay Bear, this kind of like cool guy that knows his stuff when it comes to content. And, uh, and you know, you're an OG, man. So I'm curious. Like, oh, uh, Yeah, I mean, I started, in direct, <laughs> I started in direct mail. Like I, you know, I was a direct mail specialist back in the day and I worked in TV and I worked in radio and I worked in print. Um, so, I, yeah, I just, you know, I just kind of happened to get into it. And, and listen, you know, that's – like I have a big consulting firm, right? We we work with lots of big companies. And I think one of the reasons we're successful is I don't give a shit about content. I don't give a shit about social. Like what I care about is business. And if content and social is the right way to do business, well, then it is. But I don't, I mean, I'm not in love with the tools. I'm not in love with anything, right? To to me, it's not about that. It's a, It's about, you know, whatever today's tools are, that's fine. Those are the tools we'll use. But ultimately, uh, it, it's about, you know, creating whatever kind of business success you want. In fact, I've written six books now and, and somebody asked me the other day on a podcast, they said, well, Jay, 
you, you know, you wrote a book about social and a book about content and a book about customer service and now a book about word of mouth. Like, I don't get it. Like, how come you're not writing six different books about content? I'm like, well, these books are all the same in this way. Every book I write is about how to use that thing to acquire customers faster and cheaper, right? So my first book was about how to use social to get customers faster and cheaper. My second book was how to use content to get customers faster and cheaper. The third one is customer service. This one's word of mouth. So they're all kind of that money ball approach to how, how do you, when faced with competition, how do you out, outflank your competitors by doing one thing better? So for me, it's not about the tool or the technology. It's just about how do you solve a business problem? Yeah, gotcha. And talk to me about your latest book, Talk Triggers, because um, I find this interesting. You know, one thing when I started in the early days for me, uh, five years ago now, um, one of my mentors, he's built um, uh, a $300 million company that he's bootstrapped. It's um, one of the largest adventure travel companies in the world. And, you know, he said to me, and he, he's very, very passionate about marketing and, um, you know, he, he said, you know, nothing beats word of mouth. And I believe that to be true, but people don't really talk about it that much. So I find this topic. No yeah. That's why, that's why I had to write a whole book about it, man. <laughs> it's okay. All right. Here, here, here comes my rant. You ready? Yeah. Q rant. Uh, we did tons of research for this book. I do for all my books, but this particular book, we did four separate research projects. Depending on your company, the data show that between 50 and 91% of all sales are influenced by word of mouth. That's a lot of money, except nobody has an actual strategy for word of mouth. And that's crazy because you've got a desk full of strategies, right? You've got a business plan, you've got a marketing strategy, you've got a content strategy, a social strategy, an HR strategy, a PR strategy, crisis strategy. You got a whole mess of strategy. But the one strategy you don't have is a strategy for word of mouth, which is probably as important as any of them. We just take word of mouth for granted. We just assume that people will talk about our businesses. But why do we think that? Like, what, what are we giving people to talk about? Look, I don't know all of your listeners. I definitely know some of them for sure. But I'll tell you this. Nobody listening to us, Nathan, has ever said, hey, man, let me tell you about this perfectly adequate experience I just had. Like, we don't say that. Like, and so we, we make a mistake in business when we think that competency creates conversation. It doesn't. Nobody says, you know, hey, how's that business? Ah, it's good. That's not a good story to tell. So what we did in this book, my co-author, Daniel Lemon, and I, was created an actual system. It's the same system we use in our consulting firm. It's literally our playbook that we just gave away. It's exactly how to create a word of mouth strategy that will get you customers every day, every week, every month, every quarter, every year. For free. Well, I mean, essentially for free. Yeah. I mean, sometimes there's some cost associated uh, with it. Um, like, like one of the case studies in the book is, um, double tree hotels by Hilton, big, you know, global brand. The thing about double tree is every time somebody checks into the hotel worldwide, they get a warm chocolate chip cookie for free, but that's their thing, right? That's their, that's their talk trigger. That is their differentiator. We, we talked to hundreds of their customers in this research project and found that 34% of them have mentioned that cookie to somebody else in the past 30 days. So it's very talkable, lots of pass along value. So 
they still have to pay for the cookies, right? So it's not free because you got to buy cookies and you got to train people to give cookies away. But in comparison to advertising, it's super inexpensive. You, you may have heard this saying, Nathan, that advertising is a tax on the unremarkable. Well, and that's that not in, that's not entirely true, but it's definitely partially true. And one of the things that ties together the case studies in this book is there are companies that do something different enough that they don't have to spend a lot of money on advertising because their talk trigger, their differentiator becomes the ad and their customers become the marketing department. Yeah, I see. One thing I heard, um, I'm not sure if it's true, but apparently Tesla don't really spend anything on advertising. They just use word of mouth because they just make a far superior product or, or product that's worth talking about. Yeah, 100%. And I, and I think they, they're a good example of a company that's so differentiated, uh, even, even at the, the entire premise of the company, that, that they don't have to, to do much advertising, right? I, I actually drive a Tesla, and, and I can't even tell you how many times I've, I've given people demos or people have asked to go for a ride, or I mean, it, like, like hundreds of times, right? So I think every Tesla driver, uh, other than the handful who've had problems with the car or whatever, but but every satisfied Tesla driver, you know, becomes an advocate almost instantaneously. It's just kind of part of the deal. Yeah, I think I think as well. What really helps is they've got a clear leader, somebody with a personal strong personal brand as well. Um, that definitely it yeah. definitely helps, right? For good and bad, right? Recent yeah. times maybe not the best, <laughs> but 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 uh, but yeah. I mean, I think I think it really helps, right? Uh, what will be interesting, um, Nathan, is to see if Tesla continues to be as talkable when this next generation of other electric cars from prominent manufacturers really hits the street, right? So Audi right now has the e-tron coming out. You've got the Jaguar F-Pace, um, Porsche and Mercedes both have really prominent electric vehicles coming soon. So there's going to be a lot of like actual competition for Tesla. And it'll be interesting to see if it's still as strong word of mouth. Uh, Zappos, for example, right? So Zappos was maybe not the first company, maybe they were, but certainly the first known company to do the free two-way shipping, right? You don't like it, you can send it back and they'll pay for it. Well, now a lot of people, almost everybody in e-commerce does free two-way shipping. So they had a talk trigger, right? They had a differentiator that everybody talked about, but now they don't because everybody does it. And sometimes that happens in business. Like you pioneer a thing they're like, this is our baby and people are going to talk about it. And then your competition comes in and says, we're going to do it too. And then you have to reinvent yourself a little bit. Yeah. So talk to me about like that, that way of differentiating yourself. Um, and, and like, obviously, you know, people got to go read the book to, to really delve into the system. But for people that are listening right now and, and they've, you know, perhaps just launched their business, they've just hit product market fit. Um, and, they're, and they're looking to get customers, they're bootstrapping, they haven't raised any capital. Um, you know, what are some things, some like things you can do? Because when you think of word of mouth, it was interesting when I said before, like, you know, it's free. And he said, oh, can be sometimes like, like it's an inexpensive way to scale acquisition, but you can't, it, it is hard to scale. It is hard, it, it, it is hard to see that you're scaling it, right? Um, yeah, I think that's fair. It, you, you can't press a button and run a report on word of mouth, right? Especially, you know, so many startups are so digitally focused and, and, and well, they should be right. I mean, that's the, the nature of it. Um, 
in many cases today. But but, you know, there is no Google analytics for word of mouth. It doesn't you know, like this just doesn't work like that. Um, but that doesn't mean it doesn't work. The other thing is it, it tends to work a little more slowly because you have to rely on a customer to tell another customer who then there's some gap of time there. And then the person who receives that information also then has to take action to give you more money and they have to tell somebody. So that's why when I say that advertising is a tax on the unremarkable, that's true. But even I, who just wrote a book about word of mouth, would not suggest that you only do word of mouth. And in fact, there's a whole chapter in the book about how to amplify your differentiator because you kind of need both sides of it. But you're exactly right that new companies, small companies are best positioned to do this kind of thing because, and I know this because I'm an investor in like 35 startups, um, because you don't have to undo anything to do a talk trigger. And let me first define a talk trigger, which I think will help. A talk trigger is a strategic operational choice that creates conversations. It's something that you do different in your business that customers notice and talk about. It's not, it's not a marketing campaign. It's not ads. It's not a promotion. It's not a contest. It's not a discount. It's not even a loyalty program. It's something that you do differently that people notice and talk about. Like, um, uh, you, you may know these guys, some of your listeners will for sure, uh, the company Uber Conference. Uber Conference does free conference calls. Lots of companies do free conference calls. Uber Conference has a talk trigger in that their on-hold music is hilarious. Absolutely hilarious. It was actually written by their CEO. And it is their differentiator. And if you actually go to Twitter and search Uber Conference plus on hold, you'll see tweet after tweet after tweet after tweet after tweet of people saying, the only reason I use this service is because the on hold music is so hilarious. That was an operational choice that they made. They could have had super boring, smooth jazz music, but they chose to do something funny. And that pays off for them like a slot machine. So that's what you've got to do. Find one thing in the operations of your business that everybody usually does boring and you do it not boring. Ah. So like how um for example with Virgin they they um they have like a, a different kind of customer experience. They they should try to shake that up. Yeah, I think so. Although Virgin that that is a little bit broader um, than, than a talk trigger because that, that customer experience constitutes a number of different elements of the overall experience. In, in an airline example, uh, the one we actually have in the book is Air New Zealand. Air New Zealand has uh, this product actually on the planes called the Sky Couch. And the Sky Couch is like a row of seats that they configure like a futon where you can like take a nap or let your kids play around and it's awesome and it looks really different and it's really comfortable and cool and and people talk about it all the time because they're like what is this like how did i get this this is amazing so that's their kind of differentiator their their talk trigger gotcha so for somebody listening to this and they they're looking to for a inexpensive way to uh, generate more customers organically um, difficult to, to see, but can work tremendously well, could be potentially your number one source of that customer acquisition, but you won't even know until you try. Um, they need to look for an operational, uh, something they do operationally that, that could be jazzed up or, or That's done right. differently. 
Yeah. Yeah. And the way to get at that, Nathan, is this. The, the worst way to do it <laughs> is to sit in a conference room and brainstorm it. Because if it was that easy, you'd already have one. The 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 process, the process that we lay out in the book um, starts like this. I won't go through the whole process. So it'll take too long. But the process starts like this. First, create a customer journey map. Okay. So, so figure out all the touch points that you're going to have with your customers before, during, and after sale. So, so create a journey map. Then the best thing to do is to interview customers. And if you don't have customers yet, interview prospective customers. And what you want to do is walk them through that journey map and say, okay, when you went, when you go to the website to think about buying our thing, what do you expect will happen? Well, after you buy our thing and we send it to you in the mail, what do you expect will happen? After you open the product, what do you expect will happen? See, what you're trying to do is map out customer expectations at every step in the process. Because once you know what somebody expects, you by definition know what they don't expect. And that gap between what they expect and what they don't expect is where your talk trigger resides. That's where the gold is. That's where the conversations are created. And what's interesting about that is that when you do something different, it actually works better if that thing is usually boring. I'll give you an example. We haven't had the chance to meet in person yet, but my business card is a metal bottle opener. And it has been for 10 years. Other people do it now, but I was the first one to do it. I'm pretty sure on that. And people come up to me, Nathan, every week and say, Jay, I met you at a conference seven years ago, and I still have your business card. It's in my golf bag, or I keep it on my boat or whatever. And the reason that works is A, it's talkable, but B, you take something that's really, really, really boring, a business card, and you put a little twist on it. So that's the key. Figure out your journey map and then figure out what your customers expect and then figure out at those at each of the at one of those points, what could you do that they don't expect? Because that's what they'll talk about. Yeah, gotcha. And it would delight them. Yeah, that's it. I mean, on hold music, right? What is what is more boring? than on hold music. Like it's, <laughs> it's a short list, right? Like not yeah, that many things. Yeah. So if you do, if you make the on hold music super funny, the gap between what they expect and what you deliver is really high. And the bigger that gap, the more talkable it is. Yeah. So you're challenging the status quo. That's it. It's, it's, a, it's an expectation. Um, it kind of shakes people up. Like there's a, there's a story that I, I heard about recently it's not even in the book because I just learned about it. I would have put it in the book, but the book was already written. There's a doctor in Seattle, Washington. Okay. He's a surgeon. He only does vasectomies, right? You're probably too young for that, Nathan. Like when you go in there and they give you the, they give you the, give you the cut so you can't have babies, right? Everybody's clear. Everybody knows what a vasectomy is. Listen to the show. Everybody's good. Okay. His name is Dr. Snip. Okay, so that's hilarious, number one. But that's not his talk trigger. Okay, here's his talk trigger. When you leave a doctor's office, right, what do you expect will happen? Well, typically they give you a piece of paper 
that says how you should handle yourself afterwards, get some frozen peas or take aspirin or don't go to work. And they'll give you maybe in the US at least, the way we handle healthcare, they'll give you a bill or a receipt for your credit card charge or whatever, right? They might give you a little prescription to go get some pain pills. Like they they give you a handful of paper, right? Well, at Dr. Stipp, they do that. But their talk trigger works like this. When they leave the office, every single patient is given an engraved silver pocket knife. A pocket knife. <laughs> so you can imagine you're with your boys, right? And you're watching, you're watching footy or you're drinking beers or whatever, and you open a beer and your guy's like, Nathan, bro, where'd you get that sweet knife? And you're like, where'd I get the sweet knife? I got it from Dr. Snip, the vasectomy surgeon. How could you Dude, forget? That's gold. That is gold, or at least it's silver, right? That is an incredible, that is an incredible talk trigger. Yeah, I love it, man. Awesome. So look, I think uh, people got a lot to start with. Um, you know, when did your book come out? And I, I want to switch gears and talk about some other things about you and your life yeah, and everything you, got going on. Yeah, fantastic. Uh, book is out now. You can get it all the places and ways that you can get books. If you go to talktriggers.com, uh, that's the main site for the book. There's tons of free stuff there too, like infographics, research, uh, free downloads. Like you can get a lot of stuff for no cost uh, at talktriggers.com. People love it. Amazing. So wanted to switch gears and just talk about everything you got going on, man. So like, that's a good question that 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 other podcaster asked you around like why why so many books like um I, I'm curious now uh yeah how come how come uh how come you you like writing books I think it's you know I've always been a writer I've been a writer my whole life I started as a writer my original career I was a journalism major I wanted to write for a newspaper like that's what I wanted to do so uh, you know, it, it comes really naturally to me. I mean, I'm a podcaster too. And I do a lot of videos and I'm a speaker, but, but the writing thing is, was the one that I started first and is the most natural to me. But I write books, um, only, only in one circumstance. When I see my clients ask the same question over and over, I say, well, if my clients who are some of the biggest companies in the world don't know the answer to this, a whole shitload of people don't know the answer to this. And then I go find out the answer and I write a book about it every time. That's how it works. That's why it's so great to be a consultant and also write books because it's like a steady research and development lab. So in this case, what happened was all of our clients were saying, okay, Jay, thanks to you and your team for helping us figure out how to do better content marketing, how to do better social media marketing, whatever. But the challenge we're having is not really the execution. It's what do we say? Like, what are we, what are we putting in, in, in content? What, like, what, what are we, what, what are we doing in social? And so what I realized the challenge was they didn't understand the story. Like they understood the mechanics, but they didn't understand the story. And so I started to realize that there's like this sort of storytelling gap and that, and that people didn't really understand that word of mouth is so critically important and that we sort of went to sleep on the importance of word of mouth because of the rise of social. So I started to do a bunch of research and we started to do more and more consulting on this topic as well and really helping other brands figure out their talk triggers. And then we sort of developed the system and then gave the system away uh, in the book. Yeah, gotcha. And 
talk to me around, um, you said you're an investor in about 30 different companies. Um, how come you invest too, man? You know, as somebody who has started a lot of companies, I know how much time and effort it takes to do that. And I don't really want to do that anymore. Um, I'm getting too old for that shit, man. So now I'm like, all right, let me take some of my proceeds and reinvest it in in other entrepreneurs who have great ideas and a lot of passion and a lot of energy. And, and it allows me to to help some of those organizations uh, you know, and, and sort of be a part of it without having to do that, right. Not having to, to run at an early stage, fast growth tech startup, which I know that what that requires. And I don't have any desire to do that again. So, uh, I really like the, uh, uh, you know, sort of the angel investor, uh, role and advisory role. And, uh, I do a lot of it. Yeah. Amazing. And, and, um, can you tell us like some, uh, uh the companies or any, any, any sure. notable ones? Yeah, sure. Uh, sure. Yeah. So I'm, uh, I was, uh, one of the very first investors in Buffer. Uh, I'm an investor in, uh, I'm an investor in Terminus, which is a fantastic uh, account-based marketing organization. Uh, I'm an investor in, um, uh, uh, Sigster, which is the email signature file company, uh, rival IQ, which is uh, social, um, uh, results tracking software, uh, breather, which is a big, um, oh, yeah, uh, I know, almost like a, yeah, we use yep, it a lot. Investor in breather. Oh, great. Love those guys. Um, so yeah, there's a whole bunch of them, uh, uh, you know, some of them you wouldn't know, but, but a lot of them, uh, you and your listeners would, um, uh, I really enjoy it. And like anything else, you know, some of them are going to do great and some of them aren't. And that's, uh, that's the way it works, you know? Yeah, 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 for sure. So, um, another thing as well is I'm curious around the whole content side and, and, and the way you see it around social and content. So, you know, you, you produce great content, um, and a lot of people do, but that's not enough these days, I don't believe. Um, you, you can't just like, you know, bang out like a great piece. Um, it, it, is, it is becoming more and more and more increasingly competitive. And, and a lot of people are going deep on content marketing. Um, so how, how do you think people should be approaching using content and inbound these days to, to grow their company as an, another inexpensive way to, uh, you know, grow your customer acquisition channels. Yeah, you're right. It is more expensive than, than, than ever and and more competitive than ever in some ways. Right. Because you, you, you know, there was a time when, when quality was all that mattered, right. That, that if you had the best content, if you're the best content, then you would have the most success. It was a pretty simple formula, but I'm not sure that's true anymore for a lot of reasons. Um, so today I, I think you have to focus on a couple things. One, uh, as you said, going, going deep, right. H- having a tighter niche, uh, in the speaking business, uh, you know, there's a saying that says there's riches in the niches. And, and, and I think that's increasingly true in the content game as well. So instead of having, um, you know, a content program that's about entrepreneurship, you know, have a content program that's about entrepreneurship for college students or about entrepreneurship for people who want to start, uh, only mobile apps or whatever, right. Just like tighter and tighter and tighter so that you can be the definitive source of information around that one particular community. That's certainly one way to do it. And I think the other way to do it is, is to, create your content in as many formats as possible. Uh, you certainly do a great job of that at founder. 
and you're a company that's in, in, incredible at Instagram, but also have a print magazine, right? Like those two things don't go together, but yet they totally do, right? So uh, because some people really want to engage on Instagram and some people want a magazine and some of those people overlap, but some of them don't, right? So so it, that, that's the thing, right? You have to understand that whatever format is the format that you like, that's great, but some of your audience doesn't like that format as well. And that's why I think the best content creators are, are super, um, uh, you know, kind of Swiss army knife, right? You're like, they do video and they do podcasts and they do writing and they do speaking and they do Instagram. And they, you know, it's like, you know, wh- however you want to consume my stuff, I'm going to give you it in that format. Um, and I think you just have to do that. And that's a shit ton of work for sure. But I think that's just the way it is. Yeah. You, you struck a chord with me, um, around the different formats. I think, what it comes down to is is if you want to build a, I believe, a, a sizable audience, um, you have to cater to to your audience that love all the different learning modalities, whether it's written, whether it's audio, whether it's video. Um, I, that's how I've broken it down. That's how we think about it. I think that's really key. But yeah, that is a lot of work, man. And it is, I believe, once you once you start involving video, it can can get pretty expensive pretty fast. Yeah, depending on, on on the quality of the video. Although I just finished an ebook this week with uh, TechSmith, the guys who make Camtasia, a terrific, uh, you know, easy video editing software, and it's all about how to do um, video kind of DIY without breaking the bank. And I interviewed um, uh, Amy Landino and and Sonny Leonarduzzi and a bunch of other really awesome video people for that book. And it doesn't have to be that hard. But I'll tell you this little tip: what I tell my clients and and the companies that I'm an investor in. You should, wherever possible, always start with video because if you have video, you have text, just transcribe it and clean it up. If you have video, you have audio, just strip out the audio file, right? So, so if you start with video, it makes it way easier to downsample to other formats as opposed to the other way around. Yeah, I agree 110%. And, uh, yeah, that's what we're working towards, just doing a lot of video and then working it down. Um, yeah, so much to the point that we're actually, because we're based in, like, a, you know, a, a, we have a remote team, but, um, you know, core teams here in Melbourne that, yeah, I actually want to set up a, like a, a studio just to shoot content. It's like two studios in East and West Coast just to shoot content out of. And that's where we're actually starting the future with the interview. So it won't be me just talking to you on Skype. We'll be able to, like, you know, uh, a professional interviewer that's been doing this for like 20 years and they'll be talking to you in either you know the east coast or the west coast space and then yeah you start from working on the way down but you know not everybody has that kind of luxury um you talk about diy video you, you don't do, do diy video no like you must have like a full-time videographer and like a whole, whole team yeah I do a lot of DIY. Actually, I do a lot of stuff uh, myself, just, you know, uh, phone on my desk and I do a lot of my own editing as well. Uh, And then occasionally I'll have uh, occasionally have a crew come in and shoot some stuff that's a little more high end just for for different projects, like partially because we're all virtual. Right. So it's only me here. Yeah. You know, like I work out I work out of my house. So does our whole team. I got people all over the world, but they're all out of their house. Right. So I can't really have like a whole crew. Um, uh, And so, yeah, I do a lot of a lot of DIY. Uh, It's just it's just faster and easier. Um, and, and certainly for, especially in the social game, right? So much video is, is, 
you know, the, the half-life of the video is like an hour, right? And then it's gone. And then nobody's going to watch it again, right? And so you're like, okay, what's the investment payback curve on, on, on really bringing in a crew to do it? So that's how I think about it. I'm like, all right, is this video going to be watched three months from now? Well, then we're going to crew it, right? If this video is not going to be watched a week from now, well, shit, I'm going to shoot it myself on my laptop. Yeah, that makes sense. The thing I like about YouTube, and that's something that's a platform that really excites me. That that we're that's the next one we want to conquer, is you get really good long tail with YouTube video. Like someone could be totally. watching your video, you know, three four years from now. Absolutely, and that's the thing that people don't understand very often, or not enough, I should say, is that is that people say, well, you know, isn't Facebook video and YouTube video kind of the same? I'm like, no. Like the use case is so different. Facebook video is like flipping through the channels on the telly, right? You're just like, what's on, what's on, what's on? Oh, Buzzfeed. Oh, a video from Nathan. YouTube is a search engine, period. Like I know they're trying to do YouTube Red, YouTube TV and all that. That's fine. YouTube is a search engine. Don't forget it. People watch videos on YouTube when they, when they're looking for something specific, Right. And, 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 you know, that's not how Facebook works. That's not how Instagram works. That's not how Snapchat works. That's not how LinkedIn works. So YouTube, the use case for YouTube is much more like the use case for Google, right? People don't go to Google and say, I don't care. Surprise me, take me to any website. That's not how it works. And, and YouTube's the same way. People go there because they're like, I need to know how to clean the seats on my boat, which is the last YouTube search <laughs> I did. And I was like, oh, this is how I clean the seats on my boat. Thanks, YouTube. That's dope. Yeah, 100%, man. Well, um, yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of video. And I've seen just instances where it helps more than ever from a conversion standpoint as well. And I, I don't know what your thoughts are on on influencer marketing, but um, in one of my other companies, um, I, I uh, which I don't really ever talk about, but I've got another company that I run with my partner that's doing quite well, um, but obviously found it's number one focus. Um, you know, we've seen like relentlessly that we if we work with an influencer that has a YouTube channel versus does not, or an influencer that has been on TV quite prominently or one that has not always the one with video just always out converts always like, and by like, like multiple times, like it can be extraordinary. Like the difference they could have a significantly less following on the social platforms, but just the video, that trust, that relationship. That yeah, built, that's it. It's just so much stronger. Yeah. It'd be interesting for you to test. It doesn't surprise me at all. Um, and YouTube in particular is useful because when you post a new video, people get alerted, right? I mean, there, there's that there's that there's that email alert function when uh, to YouTube subscribers. That's really powerful that we overlook. I think sometimes it would be interesting for you to test um, if you get the same effect for somebody who does podcasting but not video, because I always feel like podcasting is even more intimate than video. Because usually you've got longer episodes and there's just something about hearing it in your earbuds that that's a little bit more intimate than watching it on screen. So I'd be interested if you ever test that to see if you get that same kind of conversion effect for somebody who who doesn't um, necessarily have video, but does maybe have a podcast following regardless of what their social following is. Yeah, I think that is a good one. Um, my gut would tell me just because you can see that person. But yeah, I don't know. That, that is an interesting one. The thing is with podcasting, I guess um, podcasting seems a little more nerdier. 
Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think that's true historically, although, you know, the, the, the research suggests that that's changing a little bit. It's becoming much more mainstream, uh, because of all the new ways to access it. Like back in the day when you had to like master a mobile app to figure it out, like, yeah, it was kind of nerdville, but now, you know, you can just ask, um, your, your Alexa or your Google home to play the podcast, or a lot of people have podcasts, um, in their vehicles now more and more. So you're starting to see a lot of, a lot of other ways to get at it, which then opens up new listeners. So podcast, uh, listeners are starting to get older. Uh, they're starting to get more female, uh, and, and certainly less, um, uh, less technical, I guess would be the, the right word for it. I agree. Look, I'm not definitely bashing podcasts. I, I, oh, no, I get it. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're on a podcast. That would be ironic. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, massive <laughs> fan of, uh, you know, podcasts. Eventually, I want to, you know, for founder, we want to create a podcast network. I think that's that's where it's at. Um, but, yeah, no, it's an interesting one. I, but I'm, I'm, uh, I'm on the video camp, same as you, you know, coming back to your first statement. If you can start with your content strategy, start with video, go and, and just, yeah, filter down and, and repurpose. Into, into different formats. But look, we have to work towards wrapping up. Super mindful of your time. But uh, look, this has been a great conversation, Jay, and um, hopefully like a different one than, than probably what you're kind of um, used to speaking about. Um, that's what I wanted to really tackle with you. But man, look. Yeah, it was a blast. Um, I just I wanted to say thank you so much for your time. And once again, if people want to find out more about Talk Triggers and uh, yourself and uh you know, everything you've got going on, uh, where should people go? Talktriggers.com for the book and for everything else, uh, Convince to Convert My Company. We have 4,500 blog posts, um, about 500 hours of podcast, a couple hundred hours of video, a bunch of research projects. Uh, go to convinceandconvert.com. Amazing. Awesome, mate. Well, uh, thank you so much again. I really appreciate it. Hey, guys. I hope you enjoyed this interview As you might already know, our mission at Founder is to help tens of millions of people every single week with our content either start or grow their business, which is exactly why we're partnering with world-class founders such as Damon John, Alexa Von Tobel, Greta Van Riel, and so many more to teach crucial skills such as negotiation, finance, e-commerce, and so much more. So if you'd like to get access to these free exclusive trainings, please go to founder.com forward slash free. These are 100%. We go super in depth on teaching a particular topic, and I know that you're going to love them if you enjoy this podcast. So just go to founder.com forward slash free. All right, guys, I'll see you in the next episode.